Hey, John. Are you ready to record the next episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, I need a minute to get things set up to get ready to go. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'll do the same. Hey, uh, what's this lever in the middle of the table? That's kind of weird. It wasn't here last time, was it? No, definitely, definitely not. Plus, if you look under the table, there's a wire going from the bottom of the lever to this hole in the wall. Interesting. So, do you think we should pull the lever? No, definitely not. Don't pull the lever. <laughs> what? Why would you even think about that? It's a, it's a lever. It's been installed for some purpose. It seems pretty obvious that its purpose is to be pulled. Or it's a cleverly designed trap that wants you to pull it. Cleverly? We can clearly see the lever and the wire. This is... It's not like this is any sort of surprise. This is hardly clever. Okay. Well, maybe it's a poorly designed trap then. Uh, either way, I'm going to pull it. Don't. Pull it! Ah! In this episode of Becoming DM, it's a trap! We're talking about challenging your players with traps. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And we're talking, as we said, about traps, but let's maybe start with talking about why this is important to your game. And I think the first reason is so you can kill your players, right? Obviously, that's, that is one of the most effective ways to, to kill your players is to have a trap isolate them from the rest of the campaign um, in an indestructible box and just problem solved. That, that may be a little, <laughs> little bit overkill there. Um, but really, let's, let's talk about really why we want to have traps in the game. And, it, and it, it, it is to provide that different sort of... This is an encounter, and it's a different sort of encounter than than your traditional combat, your your exploration, your role playing, because it is a little bit like a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot like a puzzle. Uh, it's just a puzzle that hurts you while you're trying to solve it, um, generally. Uh, but it, and that's exactly what it is. Is it? It is a type of encounter. Um, something that uh, you can also do with this is when your players are. Uh, solving it, treating it like a puzzle or as an account in an encounter is uh, awarding experience. If you guys do, um, if you count up all of the experience for it, you can definitely assign experience for solving like a trap or getting out of a trap or bypassing it. Yep, absolutely. And it's, it's also a nice way to get um, players to think outside the box. And I like with some puzzles that I'll put in the game, sometimes I'll put a trap in there that I don't really have a specific solution to bypass the trap. And by the the players being creative and thinking up solutions, I'll be like, wow, that sounds like a great way to solve this. Excellent. Yes, we're, we're going to solve it that way. That's a great way to do traps. Like if you just need to throw one in really quick. I mean, if unless you're some sort of trap mastermind and you, you know, you're like, okay, they're in this hallway, um, I can make these pieces move because they're not going to interact with like a room on the other side or whatever. Uh, you can just throw something in, right? Because it's like, I want them to fall into a pit and this is kind of how that would work. 
And in theory, nobody designs a trap with the hope that somebody's going to figure out how to get out of it, but they do have their limitations, and players have a lot of magic. Yeah, well, and, and another way to think about it, I, um, I've seen a lot of people recently talking about how do I challenge my players? They've gotten to this level, and my encounters, they're just walking through it. Having traps as a lead up to some of those combat encounters is a way that you can, um, we'll say, soften up, tenderize your, your the characters a little bit so that by the time they get to whatever encounter you have planned for them on the combat side, they're not completely fresh. They've taken some damage. Maybe they've even used some spells to get past these traps. And so they're not in their full fighting form because they've been going through this dungeon and and have used resources to to get through traps as well as any other encounters that you had planned for them. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're looking at your players going on an adventure, it's all about resource management. Mm-hmm. And so if they're at 100% you know, strength when they encounter the big bad they're going to be able to hit a lot harder than, you know, if they've expended some of their resources on the way out there. I was just going to say, one of my things, like, when I'm looking at DM jobs, right, because there's different tasks that you have to do, when you're role-playing as an entire village for your party, that takes a lot of effort, and combat, you have to kind of strategize and stuff. If I really need, like, a mellow Dungeon Master Knight, I usually turn to Traps and Puzzles, uh, because that's it's a lot of pre-DM involvement and not a lot of in-game involvement because they're trying to figure out the problem. Now, the one thing I will say when we're talking about traps, especially when we're talking about them paired with puzzles, is you do need to understand your party. We've said this, I can't count how many times. <laughs> but but really understand the players that are at your table and understand if, if this is something that they are going to be interested in. Uh I had uh, a couple of weeks ago, most recent Pathfinder game, and a, a good portion of it, there was there was one puzzle and one trap, and a good portion of the session was built around that, and then it culminated in a in a large uh, combat encounter. And the 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 group that I had, I knew that they could do, I knew that they would would be interested in some puzzles, but not all, and. And some problem solving, but not all. And it, it kind of ended up being the right balance for them. And at the end of the session, they were like, "Oh yeah, this is the the best one we've had in a while. This is this was a lot of fun." And I was like, "I just added a couple of like things in there, and then you kind of spun your wheels for a little while, and it just kind of worked <laughs> out." And and that was that was one of the great parts, as you said, is once you lay this down there, if they discover it and then are spend a portion of time trying to figure out and plan how they're going to get around it, there's going to be some back and forth discussion. And if you don't have any um, wandering combat encounters that come upon them while they're trying to figure this out, then as the DM, you're just kind of listening to them to see what they're planning out and understanding like from there what has to happen with the trap. Mm-hmm. It's it's really nice. It's a good way to give like a break. For for me, I use it a lot for a break. Um, well, that and the fun of it. Obviously, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, here's, you guys do that. <laughs> but no, I, I do it because they find it fun, and, and it does give me a little bit of an easy night um, if, if that's what I'm after and need. It also lets me work on stuff that's coming up in the next room. Uh, 
The other thing that's nice about adding traps, because we, we talked about making them think about it and it being one of the core challenges, but also for, just from an immersion standpoint, mm-hmm. right? Because if you never, ever have any traps, in in a sense, it kind of weakens the rogue kind of character because uh, like they have special abilities that are to deal with traps uh, in 3.5 the rogues had like trap sense right so they could like figure them out really quickly they had disabled device and if you if you never put in any traps um that can kind of take away from somebody's game if they really want to do the roguey rogue things uh they might want traps and the other thing is, is that people who are protecting things, they're going to set traps. We, like, in modern day age, us, us right now, we are still setting traps. So they definitely set traps way back then when they didn't have, like, Bluetooth cameras watching their stuff. Right. Well, on the immersion side, even if you don't have a rogue in your party, just being in those situations where it would, would be logical for a trap to be set and then having none be there it kind of trains the party that I don't really have to be careful. I just I can just traipse through the dungeon, <laughs> and if I come across the monsters, I'll beat them up, and then I can traipse through the dungeon some more. Where yeah, and and I would say don't go the opposite direction where every five feet there's a trap. Again, unless the environment warrants it, but having having a mixture where sometimes there's some and sometimes there's not can pro- can keep them on their toes to where it's not just like oh we're just going to walk down the hallway and turn around the corner we'll be good yeah this this will be fine so let's maybe move on from talking about why we use traps and and talk about a little bit of the uh mechanics of traps and how they can be implemented and and stuff like that and so if you don't mind Daniel kick us off with uh with interacting with traps Well, the first interaction with a trap, or I guess technically second, because somebody has to set them up, but at any rate, the first interaction that your players are likely going to have with a trap is the triggering of a trap, um, or at least the triggering method of a trap. So you've got different things that can trigger a trap. We're talking about like pressure plates on the floors, trip wires, you've probably seen them in movies, Uh, fake flooring, um, illusion illusion walls. those don't technically say that they need to be on a vertical surface. They can be, you know, horizontal mm-hmm. and cover up a hole. Uh, or action triggers. So pulling a lever or um, lifting a goblet or the, the the Indiana Jones thing where he steals that thing off the pedestal and the big boulder comes rolling through. So that would be an action trigger, I guess, also with a pressure plate, right? Yep. But instead of just accidentally stepping on it, somebody actively has to take the thing. Intentionally trigger it. Trigger it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I think that I have mentioned in a previous episode a couple of times, uh, back at the beginning of the campaign that I'm currently running, they were in this fortress of a, of an, of a long-dead insane king who set up all these traps to protect his, his goodies. And at, through, through the process of navigating this labyrinth, there were, there were all sorts of triggers. There were pressure plates. There were things that you had to intentionally trigger um and and depending upon how you triggered it it could have something bad or it could just progress you along in in the thing um but and we'll talk about this a little later the the key to what i um what i did when i designed this was i didn't make the trap something that stopped the action 
yes, they could spend a lot of time noodling on the trap, but if they solved it a different way than I intended to, um, they could still move. It may not be moving directly forward, but it would be moving kind of diagonally forward uh, down a different down a different path, but still moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to. I mean, you don't want to trap your party like full on trap them. Like right. The very first thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. It's- the other thing that you need to, to, once you've kind of decided the way that it's going to be triggered, and, and that is important because how your players interact with the room could have them triggering it if uh, if you've just designed it a certain way or not, if, you, if you've designed it a certain different way. And if you don't have that designer or just like, oh, hey, you triggered a trap, congratulations, it kind of... Um, it, it, I feel like it's a little bit of cheating. And from the DM perspective, I think I think uh, it, you should have some sort of defined method of this is how the trap is going to be triggered. Mm-hmm. But if we if we getting beyond kind of that that triggering method, we also have to talk about detecting those traps and and what s- sort of things can detect it. So. Um, this could be using spot checks um, and passive perception. Again, if you're playing 5e, um, you could do role-playing and description of rooms. Um, you could do the simple perception checks if, if the party is actually saying, hey, I want to I just look around and make sure that everything's uh, copacetic here. And uh, again, having, a, having a, a difficulty rating of that check so that you're you're doing that again that uh, perception check against a difficulty rating and it allows you to um to define whether or not they see anything right mm-hmm. well yeah and then also when you when they're doing their detect trap thing so say they got a good check or rule or whatever they're doing um to kind of keep with that immersion theme I've done this sometimes and I feel bad when I do it. I'm like, you notice a trap on the floor. And then <laughs> I, I kind of just like kill the mood, right? Um, so what I try and do and try and remember to do is to always describe it like you've noticed a, a, like some uneven flooring in the center of the room or there's a glint of light off of a wire over in the corner there, um, inconsistent textures or like maybe they're holding on to a handle and you tell them it's like, oh, that handle feels like really, really loose, like it's banging against something, you know, give them some sort of description as to why their character suspects that it's a trap. Like what did they actually notice? You know, they rolled for it. What, what did they, what did they get for that? Instead of just kind of breaking character essentially, because you're, you might not be acting as an elven bard. You're currently acting as the doorknob, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) I could have picked a better object for that <laughs> well i i think that i think that what you make a really good point there because just saying hey you found a trap well did you really did you really find a trap or did you find a, a piece of the trap mechanism and by doing it the way that you describe where where you're you're providing um narrative pieces you can also have degrees of success. So maybe the the difficulty check is a 16 and you've got somebody that has awesome perception or whatever skill you're using to find that trap and they roll a 25. Uh, 
So maybe at a 16, you say, hey, you, you kind of notice there's a spot on the floor that's a little bit uneven. And that, that's, all they, that, that's all they find. Maybe at a, a 25, like, hey, you, you notice that the, there's a spot on the floor that's uneven. Um, also, you notice kind of a, a little bit of a, a small groove going between that floor tile and over to the wall. And looking close, you see a, uh, what looks like to be a wire embedded in there. Uh, because they rolled higher, you can, you can if you're using you're using your words uh, <laughs> rather than just saying you found a trap you can you can provide context to what the trap is how it works and you can make it into more of a puzzle rather than just being like hey you, you found a trap all right let's disarm it you roll to disarm it you're done um, now if if that's what you're gonna do that's what you're gonna do but uh, again it, it goes back to that that immersion thing mm-hmm. and one more note on that immersion thing. Um, I, this is something that I personally struggle with. And so I, I'm constantly trying to remember it is that there are five senses. And a lot of times when I'm DMing, I describe things as people see them, but depending on the trap that they're finding, if this is something that's going to light on fire, they could in theory smell, um, I, I don't know what the medieval equivalent to gasoline is, but they could smell gasoline. They could smell oil, sulfur, uh, they could feel a breeze blowing on them through a crack in a wall to a hole. Uh, they could, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's there's five senses, though, <laughs> to be used. <laughs> are they, are they going to hear anything? Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, they could hear something. <laughs> and that's when Danielle learned about the five senses. <laughs> I told you I have trouble with it. I started that sentence saying that I have trouble with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so all that to say is when you, when somebody is detecting a trap, um, use your DM skills. Uh, describe it in a way that that adds to the immersion of the setting that you are that you're already describing. Um, do it in a way that that um, that again leverages those senses. And and move on from there, uh, and let's do that now. Uh, and we talk about disabling traps. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, disabling traps is something I haven't seen a lot of people actually do it. Have you had a lot of people actually take the time to disable traps? Or, I mean, most of the time in my campaigns, they kind of just pull the lever. I see a lot of times where they'll find it, and then they'll be like. Okay, so going back to our our uh, our floor tile that's that's uh, that's above the others or whatever, they'll just avoid that floor tile, uh, yeah. or they'll they'll pull the lever uh, <laughs> because they just want to <laughs> set the trap. They know that the trap is going to happen if they if the, if something happens here. So maybe they get their ten foot pull that it seems like a lot of adventurers have, and they push down on that tile. They pull the <laughs> lever or whatever, and hope that whatever effect is happening doesn't go that ten feet distance. Um, yeah. <laughs> now I have had a couple that that are um, are interested in that, especially if if it appears that the trap is kind of in the way of the direction that they want to go. No, that's fair. So one thing, like if you do have somebody who's trying to disable a trap, is a benefit that you can offer to maybe encourage people to interact with them 
is if they're disabling a trap, there might be parts that they can scavenge off of it, mm-hmm. right? Like they could scavenge some of that accelerant, some of the poison, I don't know, 18 of the spears that just jetted out of the wall, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but what I like to do is, so if somebody is planning on disabling a device or disabling a trap, um, it's it's an intelligence check to kind of like figure out if they can, if they know how to do what they need to do, right? I like to make that role in secret as the DM. I'll ask them what their mod is, and uh, and I, I personally roll that. And I like this because then I know that they rolled a 2, or I know that they rolled a 27, right? Mm-hmm. And I can be like, you are pretty sure, and I always say pretty sure, you are pretty sure that all you need to do is X followed by Y followed by Z, and it really ramps up the tension at the table because they don't actually know if they know. Because that's that's one of my problems with like players rolling all of their checks. Yeah, is if they roll a two, oh, and I, I didn't say do you're it. pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, I'm, I just don't trust myself, so I'm not going to do it. And that's a little bit of a break in the game, in my opinion. Right. So I like to do that roll in secret and then watch them sweat. So. And and if you're playing three five or Pathfinder, rather than having um, an intelligence check, if you've got a character like a rogue who is trained in it, you can have them roll that disable device skill mm-hmm. to um, understand uh, what the what those steps are to to do it. So even though it's at that point maybe just understanding what needs to be done, I think that being skilled in disabling devices also gives you some uh, advanced knowledge of how they might be put together and how they might need to be disabled. Absolutely. Plus, if, you, if you're if you doing the thievy type of things, you probably have a set of thieves tools, yep. which are going to have like small picks and stuff that could get into that groove in the floor and get at that wire and, you know, kind of actually disable this this device. If the device requires a battle axe to be smashed into a door chances are there is a party member who can accommodate that need but so <laughs> i'm gonna guess that more more traps than than less um actually require probably a little bit more finer tools uh which would be in your thieves toolkit well and, and part of that is when you think about traps they had they were installed by somebody and that somebody did go somewhere after they installed it so when you think about it that way, uh, it, it, it helps to really understand that traps are installed by someone and that someone would know how to bypass it. So there is a way to bypass that trap and move along and not worry about getting death rain down upon you from the ceiling or whatever. So, yes, you could have something where, where it gets taken down by a battle axe or whatever, but there 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 should be a solution where... Um, a, an intrepid rogue or, or whatever is able to um, to disable it. Yes, absolutely. Most of the time when people hide their treasures, um, it's for later use, not for never. Yep. So Just because they, they didn't come back didn't mean they didn't plan to come back. <laughs> yeah, it mean, doesn't mean they didn't want to. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's your disabling device, you know, you know, make sure that you give them the opportunity to do that. Maybe give them a reward with some of the parts and uh, always give some sort of way to bypass it unless it's just story-wise, it, it doesn't make sense not to. Um, but as far as traps themselves go, there's actually two primary types of traps. 
like when you actually split it out. There's a mechanical trap and magical traps, which are two very different. Obviously, they probably have similar results, which is being a trap, um, but they're going to act in different manners with, with how they kind of happen. Yeah, so when we talk about the mechanical traps, and I, and I will say that probably when I have done traps, uh, it's over half of the ones that I do are, are mechanical ones. I just feel like they're probably more common in the world, uh, unless you're in an area that has lots of wizards running around. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is going to be the things where like you step on a pressure plate, and and by putting on the pressure plate, it, it pushes out noxious gas that uh that comes and tries to kill you um it could be stepping on a false floor that uh that uh plummets you to uh to a pit trap uh in the end and uh it could be in any number of things we actually ran a trap recently that i got from a from a book so i I can't take take uh claim ownership of this one where there was like this thick, gooey, like mud-like substance on the floor and they couldn't see the bottom. And if they had traipsed, and it was in a passageway that they had to get to the other end. And if they had traipsed through it, um, there basically were bear traps on the on the bottom that they couldn't see. And by hitting the bear trap, it triggered this reaction that dropped fire into the stuff, which was flammable. And, and so lots of different mechanical things that happened there to make it happen, but... Um, so it was relatively complex, but it was still, in the end, a mechanical trap that just happened to do these certain things. Yeah, that's uh, that's that sounds dastardly, actually. <laughs> well, the I mean the, the the good thing was that there was a fairly easy way to bypass it if you if they did the appropriate checks and they they kind of looked at the right things. They could light the substance on the floor on fire, and eventually it would all burn off, and they would see what was pretty much there um so it it was it was bypassable that was the the big thing is like if you spend a few time a few moments to try and puzzle this out and figure out Mm -hmm. that this is a trap and 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 um you may not know all the moving parts but you might be able to figure out like this smells like something that burns light it on fire (laughs) yeah just light it on fire the the most recent trap that i ran with my party was like a, a staircase that went down but it had a fulcrum underneath it to a pit. And so they, they sent the, the halfling forward. They're like, you go check everything and make sure it's safe. And so this little halfling went through. Well, the the Goliath barbarian was standing on the very top stair. And so it never tipped on <laughs> on the little halfling. And so he went down. He's like, no, no, this is all safe. It's fine. And the rest of the party all just barreled right after him in like a straight, solid clump of PCs. And... Uh, <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> and they learned a lesson about weight. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Um, but it was a, it was a good time because they, they got to spend a bunch of time in that, that pit, essentially trying to figure out how to move those stairs back the other direction when the only weight that they had on the top side of it was a halfling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those are those are types of mechanical traps. So like those stairs didn't have anything magical going on with them. It was literally just just weight and pressure and an action that pulls on something else and, and causes something to happen. Now those are pretty different from a magical trap because magical traps um, they can be triggered in so many so many so many ways. 
uh, basically anything you can imagine, especially being the DM, because you kind of make you make the magic happen. <laughs> <laughs> now, the the one thing to understand about magical traps is that if you've got a party that is um, super overboard on casting things like detect magic, it can make your job a little bit more interesting because you have to kind of describe what they're seeing with that detect magic and if they spend long enough time, what kind of magic it is. And and I, that's always the problem for me is like, what school of magic is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that that can do one of a couple of things. It can It can either make it easier for them or it can also make it harder for them because they don't understand what that magic is going to do. And so they, they just know get in their exists. head about it. Yeah. Yeah, which is why if you put if you put the magical trigger on something that the party would want anyways, like a necklace or a sword, they're gonna take it anyways. They'll right. be like, "Oh, sweet! It's 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 loot. <laughs> it's a magic <laughs> <Just> sword. <laughs> <laughs> this is mine now." Um, but you can have. There's a spell in uh, three point five for sure. I'm pretty sure I double checked, and it's in five e as well. It's a spell called Magic Mouth. And you can basically set whatever parameters you want to it. And when those uh, conditions are met, it will speak a 25-word chunk, right? Whatever you want it to record or say. But it it has very specific conditions. And so you can be like anybody who walks into this room wearing armor, right? And so you can have a lot of real fun with the triggers in that sense uh, because your party doesn't have to accidentally step on an uneven chunk of flagstone. They don't have to pull a lever. They don't have to do this. They literally just have to be standing under the spot where the slime drops. So speaking of being under the spot where the slime drops, <laughs> the the effects <laughs> of traps can be from anywhere from being a minor inconvenience to completely trying to murder them. Um, and, and the, the range I think is going to determine on what that trap is, is trying to protect. If you've, if you have a fairly low value thing that you're trying to protect, you're probably not going to have murder traps lying around. (laughs) Maybe you would, but it's highly unlikely. And, and so when you think about those deterrents, you could have stuff like pepper spray that, that maybe causes, uh, negative to uh, perception rolls, or if we're in 5e, disadvantage to percep- perception rolls for a period of time. Or you could have like uh, like the thing that the goo that drops from the ceiling that maybe makes it hard to move, and so your your movement is slowed or whatever. It's not something that has any sort of permanent lasting effect on the characters. It, it's not something that that um, causes actual damage to them, but it can make their lives a little bit harder as they move forward. Yeah, just something to deter them, slow them down. Um, like, it, yeah. Not not every trap is built to kill somebody. Yep. Like you said, it's sometimes it's just Joe wants to know if somebody opens his door. Like you see in movies where you like uh, you put like a glass bottle in on the other side of a door, and if somebody opens it, it falls over and breaks. Yep. Um, that's really all that a trap has to be. I mean, technically, that's not a trap. That's an alarm, unless they step on the glass with bare feet. 
but uh I'm thinking, but yeah so, and now i'm thinking of home alone where like he gets his feet trapped in the tar and takes his shoes <laughs> off and goes in the house and steps on the nails and <laughs> which which actually takes me to my next point so when you're talking about traps and how dangerous they are the more types of damage that you have so all of a sudden like something has stolen your socks and now you're stepping on sharp things um and then you know somebody lights the top of your toque on fire toque sorry beanie uh, I think is what you guys call them, yeah. beanies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, somebody lights the top of your beanie on fire. Um, so if you have all these different types of damage styles happening, uh, that actually increases the danger level because there's multiple different threats that your party needs to address. That trap that you were talking about earlier with your bear traps, that kind of sounded like it had um, different types of damage because it would hurt them to get their foot stuck in yep. uh, a bear trap not to mention they're slowed because they're walking through that sludge and you said it was going to light on fire yeah it, it basically dropped fire into the into the material and and would um would basically light the entire thing on fire and that that material that they were trudging through would um would advance at a certain number of feet per round based upon uh based upon uh the uh the stuff that was there so yeah so you can you can see how that stuff sort of stacks though right yep like i mean just walking through sludge that's not that bad even just having fire rain down upon you i mean everybody's had to roll a reflex save for that it's really not that bad but when you're trapped in a bear trap, your movement and your party's movement who can help you is slowed and then the entire thing gets lit on fire. Uh, you know, things start to become very real very fast. Yeah, indeed. So you do need to, to keep keep things like that in mind when you're when you're developing the traps because the more complex it is, the more difficult it might be to recognize. But it's also going to be a higher... I don't think that they do actual CRs for traps, but but we'll just say the higher challenge rating that it'll, that it'll be because um, if I'm going to potentially have somebody get their, their leg chomped down on by a bear trap, that's going to do some damage. It's going to kind of hold them in place. And this fire drops down, that fire is going to do some damage. And so you want to make sure that, especially in situations like that, they have an opportunity to survive. Um, players generally don't enjoy traps that are insta-death, typically. You want to yeah. give them an opportunity to get out of it if they get themselves into it. And yeah, if they if they make poor choices and they have poor roles as far as getting out of the trap, then you could potentially have a situation where they could die. But you you don't want it to be, oh, you, you stepped in the wrong place, you're dead. Let's roll mm-hmm. up a new character. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, another kind of trap that we haven't really... It's, it's not really a specific kind of trap. It's just a type or a way to design a trap. It's called a complex trap, where it's a trap that continues to engage over time, and it essentially acts as its own combat, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's there's a lot of stuff going on. So with your bear trap thing, somebody steps on a bear trap, it triggers, fire falls. And then that's kind of like it, yep. right? But if you have this 
this set of as like this time. So one round, this will go off. The other round, this will go off. The other round, this will go off. And it can release automatons and, and other fire and spikes and walls and things can start moving and things can shift and your players need to start reacting and doing a lot of stuff. It's still just a trap. Um, but it can get really interesting really fast. It does take when you if you're going to do like a really complex trap like that, um, you have to do your legwork before sessions start. Mm-hmm. Once the session starts, it's it's not so bad. There's, uh, I mean, everything is pretty well laid out. But you have to know what your triggers are. You have to know what your timeline is and how things are going to go and how your party's going to possibly stop it and avoid a certain death. And the other thing is is that if your trap is having turns, um, you should probably, in, like in, I guess my opinion, is have everybody roll initiative, and the trap itself should roll initiative, because it's going. It has a turn. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it depends on how you want to do it. I've I've done some of those where the trap basically goes at the end of initiative order, so the players can act in their own, own order, um, and then the, oh, yeah. the, tra- the trap goes afterwards. Um, when when you were saying that, I thought it'd be really interesting. I know you put it at the very end, but uh, you could just put the traps initiative order at the very like just behind whoever triggered the trap. Oh, that's a good one too. Initiative. Yeah, because then it would line up really good. Yeah, that that's definitely a way that you could do it. Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com slash ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com slash ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. Let's maybe talk about where we use traps. And I I think that... uh, I think that some of this is pretty self-explanatory. Um, you're going to find it in dungeons a lot of times, and but the the other kind of key things are are anywhere that somebody's going to protect something from someone else. My treasure, my precious stuff, um, whatever that may be. I want to protect you from getting it, so I'm going to put some traps in there so that if you try to get it, you're going to get hurt doing it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the A. Well, actually, probably not the number one reason that people use traps, um, but probably the most important and likely the one that your PCs are going to run into more often than not. But more common than that is like art. Well, my PCs, they end up in the wilderness a lot, mm-hmm. and a lot of hunters use traps. And so there could be traps just out in the forest on their way to the Fey Wild. I don't know. Um, but they could run into like a caribou trap or something. And the, as much as there's not some person actively intentionally trying to get them, it is still something that they have to deal with. A little bit of immersion, a little bit of flavor for when they're walking through 
you know, an otherwise semi-uninteresting terrain. Well, and I think that if you do have traps in a wilderness area like that, where it's it's less of a I'm trapping to protect my stuff and more of an I'm trapping to get get food, uh, you could also have the role to identify to realize that the trap is there be different. So rather than having it be a perception or something like that, you could have it be a survival role to see if they notice the the snare that's that's been set uh, because it's a little bit different um, different skill set to to realize those traps are there. Yeah, it might be easier for say the ranger to notice it versus the rogue. Yep. And so that yeah. that that's a way that you can kind of give different players a way to excel at at finding stuff like that in different uh different settings. Absolutely. It's it's always better to try and bring as much of your party into the game as possible where you can use their specific skill set. Yep. So let's maybe talk about how to choose which trap to use. And I think the first thing that we need to do, we kind of alluded to this earlier, is the party level. So consider what sort of damage this trap is going to do. Um, understand what your uh, what maybe your party can take and, and plan accordingly. So um, I was looking through some books. I didn't see CRs for, for traps necessarily, but... There could be some that are out there that I just haven't seen, and but I think it's I think it's important to as you're as you're considering party level and damage and stuff like that, consider what the impact that you want to trap to have because typically if it's in a path to somewhere, like I said, you you might be using it to soften up the party some. Now, you probably don't want them to be softened up to dead in most cases um, <laughs> unless they just make some really poor decisions. So you, you do want to make sure that the damage is also commensurate with where you want them to be when you get to where they're going, roughly. Yeah. And it's it's like the same as any other encounter, like we said before. I do know that I've seen CRs on traps with 3.5 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not really looked into it to 5e because I just kind of mentally balance things instead of looking things up. But right. if you do rely on CRs, you can look into 3.5 traps for sure to get a rough idea about what the CR for that kind of thing uh, used to be. And yeah, because you... If you're looking through a trap and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound so bad, but then you actually get to some sort of place where it lists the challenge rating or or the deadliness factor or something like that, and it's and it's you know a CR twelve for your level one party, um, you you might not want to use that. Uh, now, if if, if the mechanics, if you want the players to come back, if the mechanics are something that you enjoy that you think would be would add to your game, you can always modify the results of the trap. So maybe the the original trap drops a fireball on their head and and rains fiery fiery hell down on them. Uh, but but you're like, well, my level one players probably wouldn't survive a fireball. So maybe it, it, instead it does this other effect instead and it does this damage instead. So you can take those traps that, that have a CR that's really high and adjust them, but you might also, you'll probably need to adjust the damage they do. You'll also probably need to adjust the difficulty check of some of the things of, of recognizing mm-hmm. and, and disabling. 
Yes, absolutely. You can always modify traps, right? Basically, when you're looking at a trap to add to your game, you're primarily just looking at what's triggering it and what's the effect that's going to happen. Like, like it's going to chuck a spear out of the wall. And if it's supposed to chuck 18 spears out of the wall, well, your level one party only has two spears, right? Right. So they're, they're actually pretty easy to scale up and down. And you can do that higher, too, for your level 20 parties. You can make them incredibly hard to see and have it chuck 140 spears at your party. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you know it just scale them up and down. But when you're looking at, so we talked about party level and the challenge rating, but also when you're trying to figure out which trap to use, I'm going to take it back to what we were kind of talking about before, which what is the purpose of the trap? So we had kind of talked about, you know, not everybody's going to use a murder trap for everything. Well, why did somebody set up this trap? What are they protecting? Are they protecting their favorite swimming spot? Um, are they protecting the jewel that if anybody touches it will release the greatest evil that was ever unleashed upon the world? Or that's the did that's the easy trap. <laughs> that's the easy that's the easy one, yeah. <laughs> um or maybe it's just something that that causes them to get some sort of notice or word and they just want a time to get a heads up and run away like a thieves guild mm-hmm. right they might have some sort of trap set up at their entrance that if you don't know how to bypass it it's going to spring um, it's going to deter you it's going to slow you down but it's not just going to straight up stick a spear through your head and you're going to fall backwards into the marketplace because that's going to attract much more attention than what they actually want right and the other thing to kind of consider is what what are the surroundings? Because obviously, if you are in a volcanic cave, your traps there might be more likely to use things like a pit of lava. Uh, <laughs> um, where if you're if you're in the forest, it's it's unlikely that you'll be using that. So, <laughs> as you think about the traps, think about what's available um, to create those traps, and what might be leveraged as uh, part of the outcome. So, um, whether it's water sources or lava, sand if you're in the desert, um, snakes uh, if you're in an area that has lots of snakes, stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. It it just you just have to think about who's setting it up and where are they? Because if it's Farmer Joe who found a gold mine on his property, he's not going to fly in 10,000 pounds of sand to fill in a sand pit. That's like this <laughs> weird trap thing. Right? That's probably not going to happen, but he might be able to divert some water that can fill up a pit that they got trapped in or you know, uh, start a spider breeding program. I don't know what Farmer John is into. Maybe he milks scorpions for a living and he has a <laughs> bunch of scorpions in a pit. You could do that, yeah, because <laughs> that's just... But that that goes um, to kind of the next thing is like, what what tools did the trap setter have available to them? Um, were they just a simple miner or farm owner that for some reason wanted to trap their property? Were they a magic user? Were, did they have minions that could help set these traps? When, in which case you might have more traps, but they might be less uh, of less quality. Um, these are all things that you need to consider when you're, when you're placing these traps, um, understanding what resources were available. Yes, absolutely. 
because not everybody has access to everything. You know, it's yep. like, well, he's not going to fly in the sand. Same kind of thing, right? Yep. Well, and, and the last thing I like to talk about when you when we talk about the construction of the traps is also understanding what, uh, how the trap gets reset. And so mm. if it's a mechanical yeah. trap, it's typically probably going to be it gets set off once and then it's done until somebody comes back and resets it. And so you have to understand how does it get reset? Are there minions that specifically monitor the traps and come around on a daily basis um, or, or something else? If it's a magical trap, it could reset itself. So it really depends upon what um, what the trap is and what the mechanics of that trap operating are. Yes, absolutely. I like... I like the magic item resetting because it's just actually I I also like the idea of minions just popping in like once a day. So like that could happen while your party is like stuck in the trap and you just have like these two goons pop in, yeah. in the corner. It's like, what's this then? <laughs> well, so um, I know we've talked about Tucker's kobolds on on the show before. For those who have not heard about it, go look it up. It's basically this guy ran a, a, a high-level party through a, a kobold den and basically tore them up. Uh, and, and a lot of it had to deal with the traps that they laid. And as the party went through, they were going through and resetting traps and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of where I think of, like, what's the mechanism to reset this thing? Are they going to encounter it operating again when they come back through this room? And if they're running through this room, maybe forget they'll tri- they'll trip it off again, or is it going to be left left triggered and and not have to worry about it anymore? Yes, it could definitely cause a, a couple of headaches for your players. So now that we have officially trapped our players, right? So we've talked about how we trap them, what they're trapped in and with, and who set them. Uh, but now they're trapped. Now what? Right? So you've got you've got all your players and you essentially put them in a box, right? Not not always literally, but but they could be in a box. So when I put players into a trap, um you have to pay attention to what's going on with your PCs as much as it's it's a pretty low weight job for a DM um cuz you're not actively role playing um you know the uh, an entire village like I said before, but you have to pay attention because you get a lot of like you can notice the emotions of your players and your PCs, if they can't solve the problem or figure out how to get out of the trap, um, I've noticed people can start to f- like get this hopeless sense about them. Yep. And, uh, and when people start getting hopeless, the game becomes a lot less fun, like leaps and bounds less fun. Yeah, and and so we, we kind of talked about this in our episode about running games for new players. If you see the players getting into a point where they do seem like things are bleak, sometimes just a simple restating of the facts is is all they need to get going. Hey, just so you mm-hmm. just so you remember, I told you that this, this, and this were in this box, that this, this, and this happened that dropped you into here, and that you saw this, this, and this. And and just a simple restating of the fact could could frame it in a way that the players are like, oh, hold on, I forgot that there's a rope hanging in the corner there. Let's go and see what we can do with that, and 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 get themselves back on track and out of out of the funk, so to speak. It can also, in a way, um, like when you list things out like that for your players, 
I my players get into a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. Like they they'll sit and debate for a long time. And I think sometimes the facts that I have already stated get lost in the haze. Right. And so when you restate them, you're like, I said this, I said this, I said this. And you restate what you've already told them. And I've had players before say, no, you said that this was over there. And it's like, I most assuredly did not. I even drew that picture that you're looking at right there. And you'll see that it's over in that corner. But because everybody started talking about it and then something got lost in translation and then people start running away with with these other obscure ideas. And if you restate the facts, number one, it can bring everything kind of back into focus as far as if somebody got some sort of information misinterpreted, as you said before, forgotten, um, and also helps them cut through the noise. Because if a lot of things have been said, they might have forgotten exactly what you said, which is the important parts of the puzzle, right? If somehow a cow ended up into the room, but you never put a cow in the room and people forgot that you didn't put it there and things can get confusing if you don't keep on top of a party in a trap. Yeah, and... and I don't know, maybe that's just my party. No, (laughs) I I think that that's fairly common that, that people get away from what's been said and they start to sometimes even manufacture things that they think were in the room because through that discussion. And so just restating everything can be very helpful. At this point, you're not giving them clues. You're just basically making sure that they're operating from the right facts that they already have. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and in this, if they still get stuck, you can, you can still go back to things like wisdom and intelligence checks to help them solve that trap. Because again, they're playing characters that are not themselves. So they have different skill sets, different capabilities. So you want to make sure that you give them the opportunity to roll if if they are at a point where they're stuck. Exactly. You don't make your players, you know, lift the table every time that they want to do a strength check to prove that they can. The same way that you can't expect your players to solve every puzzle that's put in front of them. If one of your players is playing a super, super smart wizard, yeah, they get to roll for their intelligence. The same as your barbarian rolls for his strength. Yep. Uh, but overall, I, I, I think you do need to make sure that you are... Trust that your party is going to going to figure this out. Um, unless you've just done something that puts a really too complex trap in front of them, they're usually going to figure it out, either through reviewing the facts and having discussions about it or providing them roles to give them additional clues. Um, one way or another, they're, they're typically going to find it out. So try to avoid giving away just too much information too easily. Um, um, because while we don't want it to feel hopeless, we also want to, don't want it to be like a, a cakewalk either. Yeah, if you make it too easy, it's the same as when you make combat too easy. You know, you run into the big, well, not not even the big bad. It can be any bad. You run into this tree monster and he's flailing his arms and he's oh so scary. And, you know, somebody's like, I shoot a fiery arrow at it. And you're like, oh, the whole tree lit on fire and dies. And it is very anticlimactic. Right. You know, if 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 if, if everything's just solved super easy. Oh, he was scary for half a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on and maybe talk about some important things to remember about traps. And I'll let you kick this off, Daniel. Okay. So contrary to the very first thing that I said, an important thing to remember is you don't actually want to wipe your whole party with a trap. You you shouldn't be installing a trap into your game with the intention. Like I'm saying, like you, you planned for everyone to die with this. Um, 
that's it's not a fun way to die. Yeah, as we said earlier, traps really if you if you're intentionally looking to damage them, they should be a way to wear them down for those those future encounters to make the future encounters more challenging. Um, they should be a way that that is that it, that is fun and challenging for the players to maybe figure out a puzzle again if they're interested in that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only time I've ever seen somebody die in a trap was because of just just an absurd series of horrible rolls. But at the same time, the entire table was laughing just because of the absurdity of how bad this person was rolling. Um, but you like if if everybody's rolling fine, but this trap kills your whole party, it's likely like I know I would be upset yep. if my character died like that. I just it's it it's just not rewarding. Um. And so you don't want to do that. You don't want to wipe your whole party the same way that you don't want to have your trap be so undefeatable that your PCs are stuck in it for all eternity and starve to death unless they have a ring of sustenance and then they're literally just trapped in there for eternity. Until they die of old age. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess, yeah. That that would that would be what gets them, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, just keep those things in mind. I would say, and, and so to wrap up, Let's maybe talk about some additional resources that people can get for traps. And, and the first one is, is fairly easy. You can go Google traps for role-playing games. And there, there are a lot, of, a lot of different things out there of varying qualities that you can look at and, and use and modify to, to plug into your game. Now, I think you and I both have books that we have, uh, that we have each personally used. The one that I got most recently is called The Game Master's Book of Traps, Puzzles, and Dungeons, and it's by uh, Jeff Ashworth. And it's got uh, a bunch of traps, as it says, traps, puzzles, and and it also has some one-shots in it. Um, nice. And it's, uh, it's, it's really written for uh, 5e, but I used one of the traps, the, the trap I described earlier with the with the mud that, that catches on fire and the bear traps and stuff. I used that in my Pathfinder game and just modified it to be Pathfinder, Pathfinder appropriate. Um, pretty easy to do, so you can you can definitely use it for whatever kind of game you're you're looking to run. And you had a book too, right? Yes, I've got. I, I found this book a couple years ago, and it's been my go-to for everything. It's called the, well for everything trap related. It's called <laughs> Grimtooth's Ultimate Trap Collection. It's a collection of five separate books that I believe started releasing in nineteen eighty one. I think mm-hmm. so. It's definitely not built for five e three point five Pathfinder in any variety. Um, it's definitely an A D and D type of type of resource. So. If you're going to pick up Grimtooths, there's over 500 traps in that book. So if you're looking for trap ideas, it's got all of them. There's just so many. But you are going to have to modify or come up with DCs, CRs, all the stuff for every single one of them. But it is just riddled with good ideas. Yeah, and I think that having to make up the difficulties and stuff like that is fine as long as you are prepared for it. And it allows you to really customize those traps for the level of players that you're that you're uh, running a game for, absolutely. So I think that is what we wanted to to talk about today about traps. Uh, if you're looking at implementing traps in your game, hopefully you have uh, have fun challenging your players and and uh, again softening them up before that final challenge in your game. Um, so we will uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends.
Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.